igniting original concepts. You felt like you were really making a difference for them. Why wouldn't you do that? The biggest challenge that you have is not to... You're going to have disruptions all the time. If you want something different, you have to be willing to do something different. You're listening to Forest FM, the salon business show with your host, Zoe Gorilla Springer. For your industry, by your industry. For entrepreneurs seeking success, and I say success as in whatever that means to them personally, having to face and make big decisions or weigh up risks before pressing ahead with a new project or campaign, opening up a new location, pivoting to address a challenge, you name it, none of that is unfamiliar. In fact, you could argue that to an extent, entrepreneurship shares similarities with gambling. And just like in gambling, not all bets are worth taking. However, to believe in yourself and to take a stand for what you believe in, now that's a gamble you can never afford not to take. A couple of years ago, when I was still in the marketing team at Forrest, we did this half-day workshop on brand. Part of the assignment was to deliver a 10-minute TED Talk-style presentation on a brand we admired. We had to introduce the brand to the team, explain the company mission, and comment on its real-life application, and explain how we as a consumer felt about the brand, listing what emotions we had towards it. A few folks in the group immediately voiced their personal favorite to be Dove, and I immediately felt like I knew why. In the early 2000s, Dove made a big gamble. Their Real Beauty campaign, based on the idea that the beauty industry has been successful because it makes women feel inadequate and bad about themselves, something a Unilever exec allegedly said, changed everything for the brand, but also the consumer. Now think what you want about the relationship between Dove and Unilever and about whether a message on real beauty coming from a corporation can actually advertise authenticity. At the end of the day, the real beauty campaign started as an idea and from that, Dove tried to change the conversation about female beauty. And that, that was simply the start of something big. And I mean, this was 10 plus years ago and we still talk about it because there's still miles to go when it comes to society's views on what is beauty. But let's bring it back to Frank. Gambles in entrepreneurship can be personal too. Going against what your family or friends think you should do. Moving cities or even countries. Trusting that it's time to open your business instead of being an employee. I just think, and I believe that Frank DeLuso might agree, you'll hear from him in just a second, that personal gambles are often the ones to get you to explore your full potential. Get you to discover what no one else knows as better than you. And that is yourself. Your values, your resilience, your strengths, your weaknesses, and all the things you bring to the table. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a mesh. A salon, I think, is like a mesh. And everyone in it should interlock in a particular way. Like, what you want is a patchwork quilt that is super warm and super comfy. It's a family, right? And, and, and if you haven't got that, it's a real struggle because it's something that I think is without a good team, you're nothing. For the first 10 years of my career, I was just on this quest for knowledge and input. And I was just taking everything I could as I could take it and learn it. I opened my shop and my ambitions are very different now. You know, like I, look, I, don't, I, I don't care about money, but what I do care about is being taken seriously in my industry, being the name of my industry and being the best. You know, I, I want to be part of, I want to try this. I want to take this leap of faith that this could happen. And, and to do that, you have, you have, to, you have to have a little bit of, uh, you know, it's, it's a gamble, isn't it? And, and if you're scared of losing, you won't do anything. 
Frank DeLuso is a salon owner with over 20 years of industry experience. His career began at the James Kimber Hair Academy in Hammersmith, where he was nominated for London's Young Hairdresser of the Year, and joined one of South London's most upmarket destination salons in 2002, where he quickly gained valuable experience and graduated through the ranks to salon manager. There, he ran all aspects of the business, including art direction, helping out with marketing, and educating the team. Frank also spent six years on the European art team for J. Beverly Hills Color, has walked stages on an international level, Hollywood, Boston, Spain, Switzerland, and all over the UK, of course, too, as an educator specializing in freehand techniques and color correction. With his wealth of knowledge, he developed the Frank DeLuso concept, a luxury London salon experience available in the leafy suburb of Carshalton in the UK. Today, Frank joins me on Forest FM to explore the context of his success as a hairdresser, art director, and educator, the impact of travel on his career and leadership values, and the benefits of learning from different people and cultures. We'll talk family structure and the influence it's had on his personal development. And last but not least, discuss attracting and retaining the right people and the benefits of investing in your employees. So without further ado, thanks for joining me on Forced FM, Frank. It's a pleasure to have you back on the show. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. We, we always have good fun together. And, uh, you know, I've no doubt that today is going to be any different. It's good to have you on. We do have a giggle. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. It's always nice seeing you anyway at the summit and having a bit of a, a good relationship with, with the Forest team and, and with you and a bunch of other guys. I know it's always nice to, uh, it's always nice to be involved and it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. How long, how long have we known each other for? Like, what, six or seven years now? Like, when's the first time we met at a summit, probably? I think we, I do you know, I couldn't even tell you it was that long ago. I, I've had Forest for, oh, I think, well, the boss man installed it for me. So that's how long it was. He <laughs> drove up to the salon with pre-beard and, and installed it in, the old good CEO. So um, mm. it's been a long time, and I think just our relationship with everyone in, in Forest has grown immensely. But to be quite honest, we've definitely chatted and boogied at a couple of summits, <laughs> so more than a couple of summits. Yeah, yeah, no, it's been it's been years, years, good years, good years, definitely. Also, it was really nice catching up with you in Dublin this past January. It actually made me realize how little I know, like actually know about you um, and that's exactly what I want to dig into today like I want to hear more about your story and I want to share it with the Forest FM community well challenge accepted let's let's uh, let's have a little rumble and see what we can find out <laughs> amazing so listen I guess we should start from the beginning right exploring the context in which you grew up and trained as a hairdresser art director educator and how that shaped your success in this industry but I feel like to do that, we need to go back to the days of you being a young English boy whose parents thought would go to Oxford or Cambridge, like you were saying, right? Like, how would you say your family structure influenced the person you are today? Well, that's, um, you know, it's one of these questions where my family is is an immigrant family. I'm the first one in my entire sort of brood born here. So when you come from historically quite a poor background and your parents you know settle somewhere and they want the best for their kids the dream is always you know like like for every parent you want your kids to go to university you want them to work in an in a high-end office job yeah. you want you know the what, what the equivalent of what the american would dream would be for like someone in england you know you know to uh, poor poor family make good my parents aren't poor now they work very hard they're, they're you know they're comfortable now, and 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 I think in those days, being at school, you know, education was championed. Mm-hmm. 
And I think it's one of those situations as well where you know that it's required for you to try your best at school and do as well as you can do because you owe it to your parents, to your heritage. And, and, and fundamentally, you know, of course, they want you to do the best they, they can, what they, what they perceive to be the best version of you. And for them, it was always, yeah, you need to go to university. You need to do this. You need to do that. Yeah. And I was geared up to do that until I wasn't. And, you know, when I was at sixth form and I, I did quite well at school and I said to me, you know, would you want to fill out your UCAS forms? UCAS forms are what you fill in to go to university. Mm-hmm. And um, I said to them, no, you're all right, love. I'm, I'm going to be a hairdresser. And there was a bit of a, I don't think they were very happy and they called my parents and um, discussed it. Um, but the reason they gave in those days, it, it was a long time ago. And obviously the connotations of hairdressing and what, you know, the whole perception of it was very different then. You know, it was a, it, it, it was something you'd fallen into, you something that, you, you know, maybe that something else didn't work out and you ended up working in a salon. And it wasn't like that for me. I, you know, I'm the oldest of four boys. Um, my dad's best friend, who was almost like an uncle to me, you know, asked if it needs to get one of the kids out of the house. So I was 13 years old. I started in a salon. I couldn't even reach the sink. So I just make tea <laughs> and coffees and sold towels, you know. Um, but, but being in an environment where everyone's a bit older, you're privy to conversations maybe you wouldn't hear at home or at school. And yeah it makes you grow up in a very different way. And, and the more I got of it, the more I liked it, the more I enjoyed it. And, and it's so creative. And I think I got so much out of it and it opened it, through my career in general, it's opened so many doors to meet people and be around people. It's how I met my wife. It's how I, I've met a lot of my friends, you know, it's how I've, I've met you guys. And, and, and I think we are the sum of our parts and our experiences and, Ultimately, for good or for bad, you have to take every sort of every aspect of that and 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 move forward and either embrace the wins and learn from the losses. But definitely, becoming a hairdresser was a massive win for me. I I, I enjoyed my early career thoroughly. I enjoyed all of my career. There, you know, I, there's not a day I don't I bemoan going to work. I, I I love it. I you know I'm recording this in my office. I could be doing this at home, but I enjoy being around the environment. Mm. and um until that that joy is gone i don't think i'll i'll stop you know and um early on i worked like i said i worked in this salon and it was a suburban salon it was very 90s <laughs> it was um uh it, you know there was no unless you were in london it was very much of a par everywhere else right and it took a lot to, long time for fashion or styles to filter down in the same way and you kind of you know you you're looking at the magazines whether you're looking at you know your 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 men's magazines your ladies magazines trying to get inspiration what to do but ultimately it was a different job and it was a different environment and oh, i loved it I, I really i really loved it so you started working in a salon you were 13 you couldn't reach the sinks or anything and you mentioned how hairdressing's reputation at the time was quite different to what it is today Going against, quote-unquote, the odds here or the potential outlook of what that career could look like, um, did you get a lot of pushback from your family? I know you said they weren't super happy, but, you know, after you made your point, did they, did they understand? 
I, th- I think what they did was after I finished school, I wanted to go straight into hairdressing. And they said, look, no, it's fine if you want to, but have two years at college, do your A-levels, mm-hmm. grow up a bit, have a bit of, <laughs> have a bit of a, of a life. And, and do you know what? It's probably one of the best things I did because, you know, we're in an industry where you start generally at 16. Yeah. And at 16, you're still a kid. You're still a, you're still a child. You know, you're of an age where you don't know any better. You still cry when you don't get your own way. You, you think you know everything and know nothing. And yeah. having a couple of years with your friends to cement relationships, to grow up, to learn stuff, to, to be your age for a couple of years is, is invaluable. And it's something that at the time, at the very beginning, I pushed back. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be in an adult environment and I wanted to be one of the guys. And actually being one of the guys in my sixth form with my friends, you know, looking back experiences at the time and speaking to my friends now and going, do you remember that when this and that? And I was around for that. And, that, and part of that is because my parents insisted I have something to fall back on should I not want to be a hairdresser later on in life. And, and it's, right. The right, it's the right thing to do, I think. And, and it's something that I would instill in my children if they ever wanted to come to work for me. I'd say, look, you know, try this first. I tried that. And if you still want to do it afterwards, there's a place for you. Right. So... That, it wasn't a pushback so much from my parents as it was also from me because I was in such a rush to do something and they were, they were just trying to get me to slow down and go, <laughs> look, if you do want to do it, we'll stop whinging at you and you can do it. But first, get, get your education finished. You've got two years to do this. Do your A-levels. Yeah. And at 18, go and work full time. Right. And I had the bits of both worlds because in the holidays I'd still go to work and I'd and I do the things that I would have done if I was at work anyway. So you also told me you grew up, you know, moving around quite a bit. You moved to London um, early on and obviously further into your career, you started educating. So you were, you know, traveling internationally. Do you feel like traveling in the context of like work has shaped a certain part of who you are and the vision that you have of hairdressing? I think 100% it has. I mean, I never lived in America, but I did travel there um, sort of every quarter while I was educating for for an American brand. And it did open my, well, it just sort of opened me up to different things and different ways of, of different cultures. Even for a country that speaks English, is so mm-hmm. different. And having to adapt the way you teach or the way you, you talk or how slowly you talk, because we, we speak really fast. You, we take it for granted that you're going to get understood. Um, I moved to London when I was 20 years old, you know, for an Italian kid. Everyone thought I did something wrong or chucked out. But no, I just wanted to grow, grow myself, you know. And also coming up through this industry, I was young, I was ambitious, and I am ambitious still. But yeah. I'm a straight guy. I knew, I knew I'm going to have a family. I knew that it's not an industry in those days where in the middle you're going to earn a lot of money. And if I want to have a family and I want to have the ability to take care of people, I'm going to have to absorb as much information and input and take it all in and process it. So then when I'm ready to pounce and get my own business and start my own venture, I'm as prepared as I can be through learning through lots of different people and through my own experiences. And if my experiences are static, my, my ambitions are going to be more static. If they're yeah. a bit more versatile, I'll be more versatile. And that that's what really drives me. I don't think it's, it's, for, for most of the people in our industry, we, you work in a place. 
Mm-hmm. And if it's your business, you're going to be working in that place for a decade, two decades, whatever it might be. So to get lots of experiences of teaching in, in Hollywood or in Boston or in Switzerland or in Spain, you know, it, it, it's invaluable because it helps me grow and understand. And, and, and fundamentally, it, it, it helps me understand maybe what I was doing right and also what I've been doing wrong. Because yeah. there's no right way to do the right thing. There's only a way to get it for you. You know, and you, you can only you can only process that information if you've had that. And I didn't want to be one of these hairdressers that worked in a shop till I bought my own shop, and then that's the second shop I worked in. And all I know is from one static experience moving to another. I wanted to be able to go. Well, look, I've seen this happen, and I've seen that happen, and you know, I I want to be part of this, and I want to want to I want to try this. I want to take this leap of faith that this could happen, and. And to do that, you have you have to you have to have a little bit of uh, you'll be able to play the you know it's, it's a gamble, isn't it? And and if you're scared yeah. of losing, you won't do anything. Whereas if if you if you're for me, it's not a question of winning or losing. I think as long as you learn from the stuff you lose, the next time you do it, you do it right. But if you do something right, there's a way to make it better. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's that's how I am. I'm I'm. I'm super self-confident, too self-confident sometimes, they tell me. <laughs> but but it's part of me and it's ingrained. And I'd rather be confident than second-guess myself and my ability and my passion and my drive because those are the things that sustain me and those are the things that fuel me. And I don't want to be second-best. I want to mm. be the best in what I believe to be the best. And I'm not there yet, but I want to be. And I'll always keep trying until I am. So where does that like really strong confidence come from? Because I know we were talking at some point and you said like, I don't, I don't get the anxiety. Like I don't get the imposter syndrome stuff. Like were your parents like just these very, very confident, strong figures or like, where does that come from? I don't know. I can't <laughs> tell you. I think it's just, uh, my, pa- my parents, my mum is not confident. She's not unconfident, but she's not the most confident. My dad is very quiet and conservative in his, you know, if you were to meet him, he's very polite and he's he's not someone who talks a lot. He listens more, but what he's, he says what he needs to say when he needs to say right. it, and it gives gravitas and, and impact. But he won't talk for the sake of talking. Yeah. Um, so I'm definitely not like him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think I think I just um, I am confident. I don't know why. It, you know, I. I I don't, I don't, I'm not an anxious person. I'm quite methodical and I think things through and I I don't wrestle with myself. You know, I, I understand. I have the people around me that can send for me because my problem is probably the opposite. I get inside my own head and I want to do something. Mm. And I, I have this grandiose idea where I'm like, I've, I've got, sorry, I've got this idea. Let's, let's do this, 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 and this, and this. And then I go, wait a sec, actually, let me ask someone first because I need to. I need some grounding to see if this is a good idea. Then I get my, my trusted advisors right. and I'm like, am I just talking bullshit here or is this worth it? Yeah. And, and sometimes I go, yeah, go for it. And sometimes they're like, nah, you've, you've, you've been, you want me to justify this, this is right. Don't do it. I'm like, cool, I trust you. I'm not going to do it. Right. And I think it's just, I think it's just having the right support network around you. I think also you have to have a little bit of it in you as well. You have to be quite confident in general. Mm. Um, 
I don't. I don't know. Anxiety. I don't know. I, 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 I'm lucky that I don't really suffer with it, and I know that people that do, and it's it, it's horrible to see. But you know, I, I count myself fortunate. You know, I've never really felt an imposter because everything I've tried to do, I've tried to be there and do it and own it. And maybe what people see as imposter syndrome, I see as a gamble. If someone says to me, "You're going to be teaching a hundred people how to do something," and I know they've done, I've never done it. Where some people go, I shouldn't be here. Um, I've never done this before. I'm like, I've never done this before. I'm going to go and do it. Let's see what happens. Mm. And I think it's just the reverse of the mindset. And I don't, like I said, it works for me. I, I don't know if it works for everyone. I, I don't, I'm not scared of failure. I'm scared of not trying. Mm. And I'd rather fail spectacularly and learn from that failure than not try to do it at all. Right. And maybe that's where I get my confidence. I don't know. I don't have that mindset. I couldn't tell you that. I need, I need a shrink to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that'll be a conversation for next uh, next time we're on the show together. Um, listen, Frank, one thing you're very good at is telling stories. And I would love to hear a story from what you would consider to be one of your career's most formative experiences. Uh, you mentioned failing spectacularly. What would be one of the stories you would tell your grandkids one day, for example? Oh, um I'll tell you, this is it. Right, so I'm probably 15, 16 years old. It's Christmas. I'm working in a shop. And it wasn't like now where you've got like these, these fandangles sort of like software. You book it online and stuff. There, you didn't have an appointment. You'd go to the shop and you'd wing it or you'd queue. <laughs> right. And um, it was Christmas Eve and it was, it was buzzing. It was so busy. We were in a shop where there was probably six or seven stylists. And I was an assistant. And um, so we're super busy. Guy comes in, he goes, um, is anyone I can do a haircut? I'm like, look, everyone's busy. I said, you could try popping back in like half an hour, an hour. He goes, what are you doing? I went, well, nothing. He goes, can you cut my hair? I went, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it was so busy. It was so busy that no one noticed that I took this guy and I, I'm, I'm 15, 16 years old, so I'm, I'm not, I don't look like a man. I look like a boy. And I've, I've sat him down in a chair and I started cutting his hair. Now, I had cut my brother's hair and I sort of, I'm, I, I was always one for watching and learning and, right. you know, education is very different now. Now you, 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 you take time with students and you teach them and you explain things. There was, I'm working. If you want to learn, you watch. If you don't watch, you don't learn. So mm. I used to watch. So I cut this guy's hair. I didn't have any scissors. So when my boss went to get some products for his client, I snuck into his trolley and I stole his scissors and a comb and I cut the top of his hair. I did this lovely haircut. Out the, out, I can see in the mirror my boss just turned around and his jaw dropped and he's like, what the bloody hell is this guy doing? This kid is going to ruin someone's hair in my shop on Christmas Eve. So anyway, I did, I, I did the haircut. The guy paid. He was very happy. And my boss, you know, it, this, is, this is not nowadays, right? So this is a different era. Yeah. Sort of put his arm around me, took me out the back. He's patting me. like, oh, you did your first haircut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grabs me, throws me against the wall, goes, you ever do that again, I'm going to break your fingers off. You're not a hairdresser. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> and I think, but I think also, it's probably one of the things that impressed him. Um, I wasn't scared to try stuff. But look, it could have gone really bad. And, and you know what? Subsequently, afterwards, I did some haircuts, which I'm embarrassed to remember, but that's part of learning. And mm -hmm. um, 
I don't know. I, I like. I, I I don't know. I just had. I was a bit ballsy. I don't. It probably. Um, it, it was. It was. Look, it was a good salon to work in, and. <laughs> I, I, I yeah, it, it could have gone really badly, and luckily that guy paid, and he, and then my boss couldn't be too too angry, but he was really pissed at me, like massively pissed at me because like, I was a fifteen yeah. year old kid. I couldn't drive. You know, I only just now grew enough to reach the sinks and do shampoos, and I'm doing a haircut on the on a guy who strolled in off the street. So, no, yeah, it, w- it was, it was. That's one of them. I mean, Christ, like uh, affirming stories through my career. Do you know what? Moving to London, is, it was hard. But it was yeah. good. How, Le- how's learning. That? Well, it's just a different culture. I'd lived with my mummy and daddy and my family, you know, in a very tight family unit. And then I went, rented a room and lived on my own. And it was good fun. It was good fun. It was really good fun, but I missed, I missed the noise and the, the everyday stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. London's massive, right? It's it's a massive place. Yeah. And when you grow up in the suburbs, it's small. It's contained. You know everyone. If you don't know everyone, you went to school with someone who knew that person. To go to London and see so many people, so many different creeds and colours, and and it, it was just the the best experience I had. And. Uh, it, it was scary in the sense that I hadn't really grown up. I was still young and my life experiences were limited. But being a grown-up in London is what probably moulded me the most. Mm-hmm. It it opened doors for me to meet people, to understand things, to learn things, to run a salon, to be, you know, to be someone that people relied on for, to be... I taught the assistants in the salon, so people now even stay in contact and they're like frank I've, I've opened a shop and like wicked that's that's great news you know that that's what you want you just want and, you know maybe that is my legacy my legacy is not just me it's 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 the people around me right mm. there's no point being remembered if if you don't if you don't know anyone you know yeah. you have to leave you have to leave a mark somehow um no london was wicked london was was good fun and any any young hairdressers who've got any aspiration to learn anything Go to London and learn. Absorb everything. Learn from everyone. Everyone is brilliant at something. Take what you can learn from everyone. Mold it. Become your own person with these. Be a product of mentorship from very different places, from from different people, from different cultures, from different everything. Yeah. Honestly, it's the best thing that ever happened to me was learning from so many people. Mm. Did you feel at any point like you... And this is maybe like coming from a personal standpoint question. Like I moved to Dublin for two years and I felt like coming back home, I was like, is there anywhere at all that is ever going to feel like home? Did you ever get that like feeling of like, will I feel like home anywhere at all? And like, where is home? (laughs) Yes. So, yeah. So what happened to me was I, I hadn't had my shop yet, but we'd had my daughter and we didn't really want her to go to a school in inner London. And anyone with kids knows the amount of hurdles you have to jump to get your kids into a decent school. Yeah. You've got to live in the right area. You might have to go to the right church. You might have to go to the right place here. You might have to do this and do that. So, and I lived, I lived in South London and South London, as much as, as fun as it is to be in your twenties and thirties, it's not, I wouldn't, I'd, it's not the first place you'd want to raise your kid in the way that I want to raise my kid. You know, I, I like them to have a little bit of freedom and I wouldn't want to worry about them being in a city. So my wife is from actually not very far from where my salon is and we moved there. 
And at first, I hated it. I hated it. I hated. I hated the fact that it was so boring, and I hated the fact that there was. It was so monotone. Like the people, everyone was like middle class white, and I wasn't used to it. Yeah. I was around. I'm used to living in a place where it's just. It is. It was like the United Colors of Benetton, and uh, you know, if you wanted to go and get something at two in the morning in London, you can get it, and then you go to live in this like sort of. Well, that's not that far from London. It's a different place. It's a different place. And it took me a good couple of years to really sort of invest and be there. I call it home now because it's home and I, I love where I live now. But also I've, I've, I've changed as a person and I don't, I don't require the, the stimula of being in London anymore. I require the stimulation of being around my family and around my business. And that's why I love it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but now I've got home. But it did take a while, though. So I completely empathise with that because it's it was it was it was just so boring. So when you're used <laughs> to being everything a million miles an hour to slow down to a crawl yeah. in one go is hard. But ultimately, it was the right decision. Mm-hmm. Well, I was I was thinking about this this weekend, right? Like I went to see an exhibition at a museum, and the whole theme of the exhibition was around the relationship between artists and their studios where they create. And it made me think how, you know, the relationship between a salon owner and their salon is in some way kind of similar, right? Like it's kind of like an artist's studio. And when you own a salon, what happens is that most likely you're in the salon, you're in the town full time and it's a necessity, you know, like more and more we're seeing people run their teams and run their salons from a different, you know, sometimes completely different state, sometimes a completely different country. But it's not necessarily like the standard. Whereas if you choose to go the education route, then you have the freedom to be a bit more like on the road. So what has been the impact of that, say on your family life and how now, you know, being at the salon and being in the space pretty much on a day to day, like how do you relate to that space and how do you relate to running a salon knowing or having experienced um, that on the go freedom? Does that make sense? Um, I mean, I, I can only speak for myself. So to be quite honest, my, my salon is like my house. Mm-hmm. For someone that works for you, and I think this is only something that maybe a salon can understand, when you're so invested in a space and you're in that space for, you know, six, seven days a week sometimes when you're at the beginning, and it, it's an extension of your house. You, you know, I'm, we're in my office now. I've got pictures of my kids. I've got comic books i've got all the stuff that i keep at home is here yeah do you know what i mean like it's part of me so yeah that 100 percent. you're tied into something and it becomes part of your part of you you know part of your 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 whole bubble is is your house and your salon sometimes you you're fixing stuff at the salon before you're fixing things at home you know (laughs) in terms of the hardest bit is having a great team to to walk alongside you. I think yeah. for you to be able to do other stuff, to maybe go and educate, to travel a bit and do stuff, you have to invest in the people that are good for you and your salon. Mm-hmm. They have to be they have to be able you have they have to have a certain amount of autonomy, especially the, the senior leadership team within a salon. And I, yeah. I and I think a structure is important but also you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a mesh. A salon, I think, is like a mesh. And everyone in it should interlock in a particular way. And everyone should have the same drive and the same ambition, not be the same people. What you want is a patchwork quilt. 
that is super warm and super comfy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't want you don't want you don't want it to be too short or too long. It's got to fit just right. And if and and by patchwork quilt, what I mean is that everyone is so different in my salon, so different. Yeah. But when it comes to their core, their ethics, how they get along, how they feel about each other, how how we can just have a really good conversation. We can go out for dinner, and you're you know, it's a family, right? And and mm-hmm. and if you haven't got that, it's a real struggle because it's something that I think is without a good team. You're nothing. My salon, Frank Deluso, is not me. Yeah. My name's on it, but it's not me. Because I can do so many people's hair, and they do far more than I do. You know, they are the salon. And hairdressing is a funny thing. It's a fickle industry. It's a fickle, even client perspective. You get some 22-year-old girl. She's not going to want a 42-year-old man doing her hair. She's going to want a cool 22-year-old kid doing her hair. Yeah. You know, I've got that person. They're wicked. She can do everything. And I trust her. Yeah. The experience should always be the same. It should always be the same. Whether I do the hair or someone else do the hair, it's the same experience. And I trust them. And having that trust in them, they then can be who they need to be within the salon structure. I would never, ever stop someone from being themselves in here. I think that is the lifeblood of this of this place. And... You know, I can have a conversation with any of them about anything. Other, you know, work aside, I mean. And, and it's, it is like a family. You're with these people all the time. This is not an office with 200, 300 people when you sort of bump into some people at the water cooler. You're sitting on top of each other for most of the day. You're standing <laughs> next to each other, you know. Yeah, You're going true. to the toilet after them. They're going to the toilet after you. There's not a lot of privacy. Yeah. You know, you know everything about these people. And if you don't like each other... It's it's horrible, but if you when there's genuine sort of amiability between people, I tell you what, it's 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 a pleasure. And I, I, you know, all the guys that work here in the salon, I love having them around. You know, and we try and do stuff together to keep that morale down. We go out for dinners. You know, I do a barbecue for us in the summer. We try and go out every sort of four or five weeks to get together. If it's a drink, it's a you know, or if it's you know a meal. I bring them to Dublin to the summit so they can understand mm. what goes on. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's part of it. And I think, you know, never undervalue your team. You know, uh, people who struggle to get staff, I, you know, the, the way I see recruiting and, and having the right team is there's two ways. You pay them a lot of money or you treat them nicely. Mm. Some people believe if you treat them nicely, you don't have to pay them a lot of money. Some people believe if you pay them a lot of money, you don't have to treat them nicely. The idea is you do both because they're representing you, your business, your philosophies, your ethos, Mm -hmm. they're an extension of your brand. And if they're happy and they're well paid, you know, it's it's better for the salon owner. I I genuinely believe that with with all my being, I think. I think there's, you're nothing without the good people around you. Yeah. Yeah, it goes back to the whole concept. And I, I don't know if you if you read that book, but Jim Collins' bestseller book, Good to Great, getting the right people on the bus, right? The concept that he he, he talks about in there is like, you know, he, he argues essentially that those who build great organizations make sure that they have the right people on the bus and the right people in the key seats before 
you figure out where to drive the bus, right? So first who and then what. And I think that's something that comes across very clearly in the way you speak about your team. So in the midst of the recruitment and retention challenges that the industry is facing, um, how does that show up for you? Obviously, you mentioned you need to treat people right, you need to pay them right. But how do you get people to come to work for you and, and getting those right people on the bus to even begin with? You give them respect and you give them opportunity. You know, if if you're a salon which just wants ready-made hair hairdressers, you're going to look for ready-made hairdressers. You know, I like I like people to come in, passionate about the industry. We'll teach them, we'll get them on the shop floor, and then give them the opportunity. You should not have an assistant if you can't promise them a career. Mm. And what I promise is a career. I don't expect everyone to stay with me forever, but I expect their time here. They learn. And I expect that they take some of what they've learned with them in the future, in their own endeavors, if they open their own salons, if they work for themselves, whatever it might be. Now, you know, the bus, having a bus is one thing. Mm-hmm. Driving somewhere is a different thing. Sometimes it's not even the destination. It's, it's the cliche journey. And I think as a salon owner, you're driving this bus for a long time, not knowing where the bloody hell you're going or how you're getting there. <laughs> and you get yeah. a couple of flat tires. But honestly, I think that with my, with, with, the way I see it is, look, we've been open nearly nine years and I've averaged an assistant being qualified every year. Wow. Right? They don't all stay. Yeah. And I don't expect them to because everyone's got their own ambitions. Mm-hmm. I had mine. I left to do my stuff. But you know what? I'd rather make the best people for our industry than have to... So many people come who, who maybe weren't given these opportunities and who deserve them. Or maybe you see some little spark in one of them, that little ember that just needs... It just needs... You know, that, that flame just needs to come out. And they're a bloody powerhouse. And I've got one of them as well. I mean, um, Daisy, you met Daisy? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. She was so good, I put her as a manager when she was 20 years old, right? But you know what? I trust her. I trust her to do what she needs to do. She has autonomy. She can do what she wants. She needs my credit card to buy something for an idea that she's got. She can have it. Because I need her to know that also you need to gamble to win. And some things that, that they'll do, it might not work. But you know what? They'll learn. And that's part of it as well. I mean, look, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of her and the rest of my staff all together. But you know what? You need to give good quality of life, work life, because you're in it together for a long time. And imagine living with someone that you didn't like. That'd be tough. It's it horrible, is tough. isn't it? <laughs> I've done it before. <laughs> <laughs> but imagine, yeah. having to, imagine having to go home and listen to that person chew their food awkwardly or hog the remote. Mm-hmm. If you had that, if you had that work, you'd go nuts. Yeah. You know, what you need is someone to come, how are you doing? All right. But at the same time, as a leader, you should be able to manage people differently. People have different requirements. And that's something as a, as a leader, as a, as someone in charge, someone who recruits, someone who has assembled a team, has to understand that not every person is the same. Some people need to be talked to in a certain way. Some people need affirmation. Some people need banter. Mm-hmm. Some people need 
Some people need you to go, do you know, I don't think you can do that. Can you do that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can do it. Show me. Yeah. Some people go, oh, I'm, I'm not ready for this. I'm like, you are. No, I'm not. Cut the hair. If it goes wrong, I'll fix it. And it never goes wrong because they know what they're doing. They just need something. They need a bit of a positive reinforcement. And I think, you know, that, I think that's my job. My job is to make them confident and in their ability, in their understanding, um, in their... Un- and also, they've they got to like coming to work, yeah. right? If you didn't like going to work, I don't believe you should do anything you don't like doing. And if you have to do something for X amount of hours a day, you should like it. Most of the time, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, like, this is probably my last question for you before we wrap up the conversation. Um, you, you alluded to this earlier. Do, have you always known where you were driving your bus or has it been about the journey for you? And as of today, do you know where you're driving next? So I did not know. My For the first 10 years of my career, I was just on this quest for knowledge and input. And I was just taking everything I could as I could take it and learn mm-hmm. it. I opened my shop and my my ambitions are very different now. You know, like I, look, I don't I, I don't care about money. If I wanted money, I'd go and work in another industry and make a lot more than I do now. But what I do care about is being taken seriously in my industry, being the name of my industry, mm-hmm. and being the best. And my my aspirations now are very different. Like before COVID, we were looking at another location that obviously got kiboshed. Yes. It's not off the. It's certainly not off the. Um, it's not off the radar, but even since COVID, things have changed so much that my ambitions have reasserted again. So, where people don't go to work as much, they work from home. We're extremely busy in the week. Yeah. You know, I think the best thing I can do, and it goes back to staff, is find those people you want to invest in, open another shop, and give them shares. Let them have something. Let them, they're deserved. Mm. You know, if they're really good enough to work and run your shop, they're bloody good enough to run their own, you know? So I think I'd like to get a couple of my senior team and offer them an opportunity to maybe get a shop and they can be shareholders in those in, in that shop and they can have their own vision and their own understanding of what they need to do and, and they can roll with that. Hmm. I mean, I'd rather be part of their journey than they do it on their own or be on my own. I, you know, I just, yeah. I want to, I want to create something bigger than me. And if that's last another 20 years, it lasts another 20 years. If it doesn't, it doesn't, but I would have bloody tried. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Wish you all the best. I hope it lasts another 20 years. Heck, 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I'm going to be retired when I'm 85. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I mean, maybe your kids will take it over, you know? Maybe, the name never continues. know. They'll have to do their sixth form first. Never know. <laughs> right, this has been fantastic. Um, I really, really appreciate the time and just, like, the the candid chats, as always. It's good. I've enjoyed it. We should get you interviewed for a podcast. You know what? You're the second person telling me this in about a week. Because <laughs> now you know everything about everyone, and no one knows anything about you. Hey, yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> that's the way you like it. <laughs> 
<laughs> Listen, I'm not opposed to it. I uh, the last the last person who asked me, I said, let me th- let me have a think about it. I, I'm not I'm not saying yeah. no, but I don't know if I'm ready for that just I, yet. I'll download that episode. <laughs> Good to know. Well, listen, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and an amazing year ahead of you, obviously, with the salon as well and all your team. It's been fantastic to learn more about your journey. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, though, for for having me on. And um, I look forward to seeing you in person again, like I always do. So Dublin in January, we'll, um, we'll have a catch up. Absolutely. First who, then what, getting the right people on the bus, is a concept developed in the book Good to Great, Why Some Companies Make the Leap and Others Don't, by Jim Collins. Good to Great examines what it takes for ordinary companies to become great and outperform their competitors by analyzing 28 companies over 30 years who either managed to make the transition or who fell prey to their bad habits. I strongly recommend the read. It's a great business book. It's actually one of Ronan Percival's favorites. Um, But I would also encourage you to do that 10-minute TED Talk style brand exercise that I mentioned at the start of the episode. Do it for a brand you love. Do it for your own brand. And finally, ask yourself this question. What are the personal or business gambles I can't afford not to take this year? Thanks for listening to Forced FM. And a very special thank you to Natalie, who owns a hair and beauty salon in the UK and sent in this feedback recently. I loved listening to the interview with Zoe and Jason Everett. He was awesome at the Salon Owners Summit. I enjoy the Forest FM podcasts and missed not listening to them. They really help you remember and give you a great mindset. If, like Natalie, you enjoy the Forest FM podcast and you'd like to help support it, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to hear what that episode was about, the episode with Jason Everett, check out the bonus episodes from season seven. As always, you can head over to forest.com forward slash FM for all the latest from the show, as well as this episode's related links and resources. For any and all feedback, make sure to send us an email at forestfm at forest.com. Brought to you by Forest Salon Software. Forest FM episodes air weekly, sharing inspiring stories from the salon floor and amplifying community voices all over the globe. In your salon, we're at the heart of it. This episode was edited and mixed by Audio Z, Montreal's cutting-edge post-production studio for creative minds looking to have their vision professionally produced and mixed. Great music makes great moments.